This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. to connect with Community Waikato on Free FM 89.0. Today we're doing something a little bit different, actually. Today we are collaborating with Community Network's Aotearoa, and a number of you will have heard me speak with Rods Rice previously on this show. Roz runs Community Network's Aotearoa. Um, she has a radio show herself called Collaborative Voices, based down in Wellington, and she had the opportunity recently to speak to um, uh, Sue Barker, who is a well-known charities um, and not-for-profit specialist lawyer uh, based down in Wellington. So we're actually playing the show that Roz recorded recently with Sue Barker. Um, we're going to do this over the next two weeks, so you won't hear my voice. You will hear Roz and Sue speaking. This week, you're going to hear a conversation about uh, the Incorporated Societies Act. There have been a number of changes that have occurred and they are going to talk through those and the implications for the sector and the sorts of things people um, involved with not-for-profit organisations, incorporated societies in particular, will need to consider. Uh, the second show, the show you will hear next week, is uh, again with Ros Rice and Sue Barker. And this is around the charities report. Um, so the government has been undertaking a reconsideration of a number of points around charities law. Uh, recommendations have now come out. Sue Barker has actually been working for the last year or two on quite an extensive report examining what would a great framework for the sector actually look like. So these are going to be two really interesting shows. I want to say very, very big thank you to uh, Collaborative Voices for being willing to share. So that is us for this week and next week. We connect with Community Waikato, Free FM 89.0. Collaborative Voices from Community Networks Aotearoa. Conversations and interviews on all kinds of subjects of interest to the community and voluntary sector. Listen up for Collaborative Voices from Wellington Access Radio. Good morning and welcome to Collaborative Voices. I'm Ros Rice from Community Networks Aotearoa and it's my great pleasure today to be speaking to Sue Barker and I'll get Sue to introduce herself but uh, she is well known in the community and voluntary sector for all the amazing work that she does regarding legislation and our sector. Specifically uh, in the past few years you've represented our sector Sue um, in uh, the High Court with issues to do with charity services and I'm hoping to have another show where we talk about your recent report that's just come out yesterday I think um, on recommendations of ways to change the Charities Act to make it a workable and fair act in New Zealand but today um, Sue and I are going to be talking about the Incorporated Societies Act so welcome Sue do you want to tell me a little bit about who and what you are? Thanks so much Roz it's lovely to be here thank you for having me on your show um, Yes, my name's Sue Barker. I'm a lawyer specialising in charities law and public tax law. 
Um, I've been on sabbatical for the last two years. Um, the New Zealand Law Foundation have given me their International Research Fellowship and uh, the report, uh, uh, the title of the report is What Does a World Leading Framework of Charities Law Look Like? And I'm very happy to say that was released publicly yesterday. So um, yeah. very keen to receive feedback um, once people have had a chance to um, read the report. It is uh, book length. I make no apologies for that. To my <laughs> mind, charities worth it. So um, I look forward to hearing what people might might make of it. Oh, we'll be looking at it, that's for sure. Um, so we'll be back in touch with you about that. Um, in the meantime, let's head into our specific subject today, which is the changes to the Incorporated Societies Act. So can you first of all just quickly tell us, for people listening out there who don't understand this, what are incorporated societies? I think that's a very good question. It's, it's important to understand exactly what we're dealing with. Um, so really, uh, incorporated societies are a, a bunch of people that have um, incorporated. So societies normally start out on an unincorporated basis, like people get together, they have a shared purpose, they want to, to, to further it together. But as they grow and as they start owning assets or entering into contracts or agreements, it becomes very complicated because... You're, you've got a bunch of individuals. You haven't actually got a legal entity. So as you get to a certain size, most societies will want to seek incorporation. So the main benefit of an incorporated society, of being incorporated, is that you get that separate legal entity. You have an actual entity, sort of like a company, um, but not a company. Uh, and that entity can enter into contracts or own assets. So it's unaffected by the comings and goings of its members. So a, another advantage of that is that you have a, a certain degree of limited liability. Now, there's three other key aspects of incorporated societies that I think are worth noting. One is that they're the, the, the type of decision-making. Incorporated societies are inherently democratic organisations. Um, members have the primary responsibility for holding incorporated societies to account. And that power is primarily exercised through general meetings. So general meetings are very important in um, incorporated societies. Um, the other issue, which is what distinguishes them from companies, is that the members don't have any ownership interest in, a, in an incorporated society. So when you have a company, a shareholder has a share in the company. That is an ownership right. interest from which they derive dividends or um, you know, uh, be entitled to assets on winding up. But uh, members of an incorporated society have no ownership interest. There is a financial gain prohibition, and that is what makes incorporated societies unique. Um, and the other, the other key distinction, I think, is that um, incorporated societies are private organisations, and that's enshrined in Section 3D2 of the Act, that um, incorporated societies are private organisations that are self-governing that should be free from inappropriate government interference. And I think the important point is that even if they register as a charity, and one third of incorporated societies are also registered charities, they do not lose that private status. They are private organisations that should be free from inappropriate government interference. Oh, cool. That's really good to get clarity over that because you hear people talking about incorporated societies, but uh, an understanding of what you're actually discussing, which is a legal entity with certain rights and privileges, you can just think it's just another name. I know there's a lot of confusion between um, incorporated societies and charitable societies because some people think they're two different things. And it's good that you clarified that incorporated societies can be either registered as charities 
or not registered as charities, that's kind of a an overlapping title that people can make a choice of. So I'm glad you clarified that too. Just jump in there. There, there is a distinction between incorporated societies and charitable societies because uh, when you when you're wanting to incorporate, you could incorporate under the Incorporated Societies Act, but you can also incorporate under the um, charities charitable trust. No, the Charitable Trusts Act. Mm. So this is where you get your legal status from. So whether you're incorporated on under either act, you can then take an extra step and seek registration as a charity, but you don't have to. So charitable societies are normally referring to um, uh, incorporated societies, but ones that are incorporated under the Charitable Trusts Act rather than the Incorporated Societies Act. So, you know, it is, it is quite a complicated... <laughs> it gets a bit complicated, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So just moving along, there's just been a, a, a government review of the Incorporated Societies Act, which hasn't happened since the Act first passed in 1908. So there was obviously an awful lot of stuff that many uh, um, societies and non-profits here in New Zealand felt needed to be done. Um, and we, for one, um, made quite a few comments in the um, in our submission about different things. I personally uh, wasn't that happy with how that uh, review was drafted. I thought it was lazy, um, and I was clear about that when I made an oral submission. But um, uh, I felt like quite a lot of that act um, that they presented to us, the review, had just they just chopped and cut and pasted out of the Companies Act. Was that your impression? I think there was a bit of that. I mean, the the um, the thing about the Incorporated Societies Act 1908, um, the 114 year old act that we've got at the moment, it's still in force, mm. um, is that it's quite principles based, and, and I think that's a good way of proceeding when you have a vast diversity of organisations, which you do. I mean, we have. 30,000 incorporated societies, 24,000 under the Incorporated Societies Act, and another 7,000 mm. under the Charitable Trusts Act. And so the advantage of it being principles-based was that it, it, it catered for a wide diversity of situations. But the difficulty, kind of the quid pro quo or the other side of that, is that there are a lot of gaps. It doesn't deal with a lot of situations that arose. And that was causing difficulty in practice. The Law Commission in their report, their 2013 report, um, mentioned that frequent uh, difficulties frequently arise in relation to governance and administration of incorporated societies because there's just no guidance in the legislation. And that was particularly the case with disputes, internal disputes, which do arise. The, the, the Law Commission described them as inevitable. And the problem was that there was no guidance. And so that, that can disrupt, it can be very um, disruptive and distract incorporated societies from their um, purposes for, for considerable periods of time. So I think it, was, it is important that they, those issues are um, addressed. Yeah. yeah, we sort of skipped generally over some of the things we were going to discuss in the first half of this program. Um, but just really briefly, the Act is now passed into law, but isn't yet law. Um, can you just quickly explain why, what is holding it up? Yes, so the um, the Act has passed, but most of the Act has not come into force, and it won't come into force until a date to be decided by Order and Council. So for the first 18 months, um, the the next stage will be that the Government will issue, or Parliament will issue regulations um, 
governing, there's actually considerable detail of the bill is being left to regulations and we don't know what will be in those as yet. Um, so I do hope that they put those out for consultation because that will um, that will have a, a significant impact on, on what is in those regulations. Yeah. So the regulations are, um, are written up by um, anonymous at the moment government employees and uh, they regulations give just for the listeners um, people an idea of things like will you have to pay for re-registration um, and different things like that that are part of how the law is actually administered. That's right. It'll be what, what will be in the annual returns, whether there's going to be a fee for registration, uh, who has to be audited, um, what uh, certain criteria around small, you know, lots of the detail is, being, is not in the, in the Act. Okay. Well, we're going to talk a bit more about that after we've played a little bit of music. Um, and your choice, and I think it's a fantastic choice, something I posted on my Facebook a couple of weeks ago, is the new song, Pink Floyd Came Back Together, um, to produce this song called Hey Hey Rise Up. It's a Ukrainian protest song, and the singer... Uh, of the song uh, belongs to a group and was um, singing in uh, America and went back to the Ukraine to fight for Ukraine. So uh, we're just going to go into Pink Floyd, Hey Hey, Rise Up.
back to the second part of our interview with Sue Barker, and we're talking about the Incorporated Societies Act. There's been a lot of conversations about this over, over time, but um, Sue is the, um, I know, the, con the, the, the absolute expert on these things, and it's wonderful to have you here. I'd like to talk a bit more about what the new act entails as regards changes. Yes, well, I think the most important change is going to be Section 26, which requires um, incorporated societies to have a much more comprehensive constitution. Now, some incorporated societies will already have a very com a comprehensive constitution, and fundamentally the law, the underlying law, isn't actually changing. So for some, there may not be significant difference, but for some societies, they will really have to have a look at their constitutions to make sure that they have all these 25 mandatory requirements. And I think it's a really important opportunity for incorporated societies because your constitution is like your public statement about what the organisation is about. And actually time invested in getting your constitution right will stand the society into really good stead for the future. I think it, it, it's advantageous for societies to really invest in getting their constitution right. And actually there's a lot of provisions in the Act that apply unless modified by the constitution. So it really is an opportunity to... Um, get a really good constitution. And that will fill in a lot of gaps that are currently causing so much difficulty for so many societies in practice. And I think one of the, the things that is helpful about the Act is Part 4, which provides a specific pathway for members or officers or societies to have their constitution enforced. So at the moment, there's a complete lacuna. So when things go wrong in societies, it's often because someone isn't complying with the constitution, like a building was sold but they didn't have authority or whatever it might be. And those disputes can be protracted and very disruptive. Um, so to have an actual pathway whereby you can enforce your constitution, I think will be very helpful. Because um, at the moment, if you go to court, it, it falls on an individual, a whistleblower, who has to have resources to go to court. And even when they go to court, there's no specific cause of action. They have to try to find one. They try to adapt maybe judicial review or maybe contract or a declaratory judgment, nothing fits. So you've got this initial threshold issue, all of which takes time and money, and it just makes it difficult to enforce your constitution. So, you know, I, I think that um, that aspect of the, of the new legislation will be helpful. All right. What do incorporated societies need to do to transition to this new regime, Sue? Right, so there's about um, five things they need to do. The first thing is to make sure they have a constitution that complies with the requirements of the new Act. So, so um, they've got 18 months at least to do that. And once the regulations are enforced, they've got another 30 months. So that's going to take them into February 2026. So there's plenty of time to do that. Um, so once they've got their constitution enforced, then they also need to make sure that all of their officers are um, qualified to be... Um, officers of an incorporated society. So that is a, a new provision. Um, they need to have a contact person who must be ordinarily resident in New Zealand. The contact person doesn't need to be a member of the committee or the board, but um, and you can have one or up to three. You have to make sure that all of your members have consented to be of, uh, members of your society. So I assume that they will have, but it, it will now be a legal requirement to make sure that members have consented and then the application, when, when you come to do it, um, must contain the information prescribed by the regulations. So again, we don't necessarily know what that's going to be. But the key point is that 
once the regulations are passed and the, and the, the Act itself comes into force, every single incorporated society is going to have to actively re-register to the new incorporated societies register if they want to continue to have the benefits of incorporation. So that is a change from the exposure draft that was issued in 2015. And it is really important for incorporated societies to be aware of that. Yeah. And we've had questions here at the office about whether that'll charge, they'll be charged to re-register. Personally, um, we here at the office don't think they should be. It's not something that um, incorporated societies have gone out to change themselves. It's something government's done, but we won't know that till the regulations come through. So a lot of this information is reliant on when the legis uh, when the regulations come through. And and folk listening out there who are members of us, uh, we will be sending out a lot of information about what you need to know when that all comes through. So don't fear that you'll have to chase it down. You'll start getting that through from us. But yeah, what what do they need to do beforehand in order to be able to transition, Sue? So the, the main thing is, is getting that constitution ready. Right, because um, <clears throat> they have to have um, um, general meetings, won't they? Yes, although there are provisions in the legislation that, that will facilitate registration. And one of them that was added by select committee that I think was quite helpful was um, you, can, you can approve a constitution to take come into effect once you are re-registered because um, that uh, I've been drafting a few constitutions for incorporated societies and that does really help because it makes it clear which act actually applies otherwise you're trying to comply with the requirements of both acts so At I think that will be time. helpful yeah 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 cool and and will they need what would, what once they've transitioned what will they need to do afterwards so you're a new you've got a new um, incorporation, you're essentially a new organisation. What about the history of your organisation and that's what do you have yes. to do? What would be different afterwards? Well, that's, that's a really important point. So it is, they have made specific provision to make it clear that even though you are re-registering, you are continuing as the same legal entity. So you'll be registered under a new act, but you'll be the same legal entity. So that's very helpful. You won't have to change um, control of assets or anything like that. Um, but the, there are ongoing requirements to notify changes to the Registrar of Incorporated Societies. For example, you're going to need to notify amendments to constitution, which is the case already, changes in offices, including the information prescribed by regulations, um, change in registered office, a change in contact person. And there's also some uh, requirements about financial statements. Currently, the, there's no standards that govern the reporting of incorporated societies unless you're also a registered charity, but they're proposing to use the same uh, financial reporting standards that are applicable to registered charities. Right. But they have made a micro exception for very small societies. So um, you will have an ongoing requirement to keep accounting records, but Again, if you're registered for GST or if you're running a business, that, that will be no change, I expect. Um, there's specific provisions around an interest register, the register of members, the AGMs, and the use of the society name. So, mm -hmm. um, But all of that is good governance, and I expect that a lot of societies will be doing most of that anyway. So, um, it, it, Can I ask a question at the moment? Um, when you send in your service performance report, if you're a charity... 
you send it to charity services, you don't have to send um, all that information through to the register of companies. Will that continue? If you give all that information to charities, will you have to double it and send it to the company's register? Well, they have carved out for the annual return. They have said that registered charities, incorporated societies that are also registered charities don't have to file an annual return to the Registrar of Incorporated Societies. But that, that, that's actually interesting because um, the annual return for the Incorporated Societies Act isn't necessarily going to overlap or align completely with the annual return that you file for the chari for charity services. For example, in the, we don't know what the detail is going to be, but in November 2015, they were suggesting it was going to be things like um, that you confirmed you held your AGM, how many members attended, how many members you have at the end. You know, so those aren't charity services kind of questions. No. So that that's going to be an issue. But the other issues like uh, notifying changes to constitution. This is an issue. So if you are incorporated, you get your legal status from the court company's office. And then if you also take the extra step of getting registration as a charity under the Charities Act, you have a dual notification obligation. So you have to notify your changes both to the registrar and to the um, and to charity services. Yeah. That's going to be a pain. That's a massive amount of uh, accountability. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. What I think, what I think, the best way to approach it would be to do it all in one go. Like, um, mm. if you're amending your constitution, you, you go through the process, the AGM, you know, you notify the changes you do, and then you send your changes both to the Registrar of Incorporated Societies and Charity Services. Do it all in one go. Okay. Uh, quick question: If you have to reincorporate, do you have to re-register as a charitable organisation? Uh, because you're continuing as the same legal entity. So okay. I don't think, I mean, that is my reading of it. Uh, they haven't specifically said that, but I don't think it will affect it. Yeah. Now, so we've come to the end, but um, I don't want to leave without you letting people know how they can get hold of you because you run a boutique um, law firm. Can you just give us some information so anyone who wants to talk to you privately can get hold of you? Sure, uh, absolutely. Um, you can get hold of us through our website. It's um, charitieslaw.co. It's not .co.nz, it's .co. It's the new .com, I understand. Mm. Um, so it's got all our contact details there and um, uh, yeah, very happy to hear from people. Okay, and if anybody there um, thinks about this later and goes, who was that amazing lawyer that was talking to Ros, uh, you can always contact me and I will let you know uh, how you can get hold of Sue. Uh, she's well known here in Wellington and does amazing work for NGOs. So it's really a pleasure to have had you here. Thanks so much, Sue. Thank you, Ros. More episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.